Okay, welcome everyone to uh, this next episode of uh, Trainee Pearls, a podcast from the EBMT Trainee Committee. I am uh, Lars Gerde, a hematology and BMT trainee from uh, Rieshospitalet in Copenhagen, Denmark. And I'm very happy to uh, guest host today's episode, where I am very happy to be joined by Dr. Oscar Brook from the Department of Hematology and the Data Administration Department at the Helsinki University Hospital in uh, Helsinki, Finland. So uh, thank you very much, Oscar, for, um, for accepting our invitation. Thank you, Lars. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Um, doing some research and, and some uh, uh, applications by the side as well. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Excited so, to discuss the um, publication today. Yeah, that's why we, uh, we brought you in. So we recently you published in Blood Cancer Discovery uh, this paper entitled um, Machine Learning of Bone Marrow Histopathology identifies genetic and clinical determinants in uh, patients with MDS. And congratulations with the publication. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so to, to start things off, um, could you talk a little bit about like the, um, the diagnosis and classification in, uh, in MDS and which research questions your um, study wanted to, to address in relation to that? Okay, well, that's that's a quite large question that very, uh, to start with, but I'll try to answer that. So, MDS is um, is a quite heterogeneous disease um, where uh, patients have hematological patients usually are admitted to the clinic with uh, some kind of a um, disorders in their complete blood count and. Symptoms that they can have can be related to anemia. So, for example, fatigue, uh, shortness of breath. Uh, they can have some infections, or they can just feel feel very ill. And and the the diagnosis is based on on uh, WHO CRITE guidelines, uh, and they include uh, identifying cellular dysplasia uh, from bone marrow aspirate or biopsy samples. And and to 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 and as part of the diagnosis and also to risk stratify the patients, um, uh, the karyotype, the blast proportion, and then also the uh, complete blood count are assessed, uh, and then as as to 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 get the, an idea of the prognosis, uh, the IPSSR, so the the revised international prognostic scoring system is calculated for for patients and that is also part to to guide the treatment as well right. and um so now if i got the other part of the question i can you repeat oh, that thank again? you very much for laying out that so we all know how the, the current status is in diagnosing and classifying mds so which how did your study which questions did you want to address in uh, relation to, to that okay so yeah so um we we started off by we're very excited by recent uh, many, uh, papers at the at the time was, um, that studied whether uh, the uh, presence of individual mutations and cytogenic alterations could be detected from very like routine uh, biopsies and those papers were done in lung cancer by Nicholas Kudray and then uh, by uh, Jacob. 
uh, Jakob Kater in colorectal cancer and and uh, there were some others as well. Um, and the findings were, were quite striking that just by by looking at the 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 HNE stainings, you could really detect those individual mutations in some cases quite quite accurately, actually. And we just quite asked that could we do the same in MDS? And uh, so we collected collected bone marrow biopsies of MDS and MDS MPN, so MDS patients with mild perforative neoplasm syndrome. Uh, and also healthy controls as um, as a reference, and we sequenced uh, diagnostic uh, samples that were stored from these patients as well with a clinical uh, sequencing panel, and we collected their karyotype, and and the tools that we use to 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 mine those images are basically two sort of tools. We use convolutional neural networks to to really mine the images, so to extract the morphological features of those images. And then we used a multivariate penalized regression models to build those individual models to predict the individual mutations and cytogenetic changes. And well, you can read on the paper, but we got actually very good results uh, to, to detect individual mutations and individual alter alterations. And we also test then, could we predict things like uh, the age of the patient and the IPSSR score of the patient and uh, prognosis and, and so on. And, and, and basically, the, we could predict all of those um, really, uh, really well. And, and that's really fascinating to see that the, the routine stainings have a lot of lot more information that is currently being used in, in the clinics. That's very interesting. So um, you said you used convolutional neural networks. That is like a way of saying that that's the part of the, what one part of the machine learning or artificial, artificial intelligence or, or what you would call that. So did, was that something you developed yourself? Uh, no. So the for the convolutional neural networks we used um, to go quite deep already, but it was pre-trained, basically pre-trained models. So models that have been trained in large data sets uh, of um, millions, 20 million images uh, that were, um, uh, and, and basically the, the model parameters were so that um, were used to, to detect, for example, dogs and cats and houses and humans from those images. And we could use the same parameters here to analyze the the H and E staining, so to identify the different morphological and texture features from the images. Oh, so we just basically used uh, um, off-the-shelf uh, model uh, without any like we didn't really change the parameters there to really just get out of the images what you can get uh, with that anybody else can can replicate uh, uh, without basically. Uh, large computing powers. It's fascinating that you were able to to build upon something that was that was built from built from a totally different uh, background, but applying this on very complex histopathological samples. So, just to side note, were these things uh, free for you to use? Was it part of like an open software, or did you have to to pay for this? It's free to use. So uh, we used um, open source libraries 
Um, so in this work, we used uh, a library called Keras that is based on the TensorFlow framework. And that is, uh, anybody can, can use that, uh, download that and download the parameters as well. And, and that's really a great thing about the computer vision uh, community that, that these, these parameters that are, are very challenging to, to compute are also published for anybody to use their, to, to their own research work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also saw that all the codes and all the different um, technological uh, details uh, have been also laid out freely on your webpage. So if anybody is interested in details on that, so I also commend you for, for um, also bringing that open science in your own work. Um, so again, perhaps for, for people that are, are not uh, that familiar with the machine learning and artificial intelligence as, as you are, just before we go into the specific results, can you say a couple of words about uh, how machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, differs from traditional statistics and, and uh, yeah, some more of the definitions there used? Okay, so, um, so uh, usually machine learning is is interpreted as part of the artificial intelligence besides uh, other um, non-machine learning based statistical um, models just regression models um, uh, personally i have some maybe um, challenges to really understand what what artificial intelligence should be really interpreted but but machine learning is, a bit, is in a way much easier to understand i think so it's the study of computer algorithms that can improve by uh, using data. So you, you build models based on a subset of data using, uh, called training data. And you kind of try to develop or train the some sort of parameters. And when those parameters uh, learn the representation of the data or uh, let's say like the phenotype let's say if uh, is it like survival or if it's like uh, the occurrence of a mutation or what, whatever uh, you can then test how well those parameters then work in a separate data set or, or test data set or validation data set hmm. and 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 you can make it more robust by by really testing in different data set from different um, so data sources, for example, in the clinical context, it would be from different hospitals, for example. And um, yeah, and and there are many different frameworks to train machine learning algorithms. The the last decade has been really the uh, the era of deep learning more and more, especially uh, in text mining and 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 uh, image um, analysis. Um, and 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 the the performance have been often even sub, sub, superhuman, and that's really an exciting exciting thing that that we can we can build tools for from humans to the human to to make the uh, clinical work, for example, um, uh, less tedious and and, and maybe easier uh, and and more maybe maybe someday even more reliable as well. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, we, we also start to see many applications now within hematology and, and bone marrow transplantation. So I think that we as clinicians, we, we might not need to know the deep uh, ends of the programming and the techniques, but we need to have an idea of what these things are and what they represent and how they work. Um, so going back to your study, uh, when you apply this algorithm normally used to 
divide cats and dogs on this MDS and MDS MPN uh, histopathological uh, H&E stained uh, samples. Uh, you first use some sort of unsupervised uh, learning methods where the computer basically just sees, okay, which patterns are there in these samples and, and what did you find there? Yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's a very question. So, so uh, we, we used unsupervised learning first to analyze very small um, tiles or patches of those stainings. And the idea there was to understand, can we just see what is the bone marrow biopsies made of? What is it composed of? And, and um, we used uh, UMAP um, projection just to divide the data into a two-dimensional two uh, format. Uh, we used uh, phenograph clustering, so a clustering method to divide the individual small tiles of the small textures and, and also um, a slingshot a trajectory analysis to understand in a way, uh, is there any kind of a pseudo time or some kind of a trajectory between uh, those different textures? What, what is the kind of the connection between different texture subtypes? Hmm. And, 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 and to really, if I can more maybe explain, so we, we clustered and mapped here the, the image future data. So one image is kind of a, a um, composed of, uh, in this example, we use 2048 variables or visual um, features. And that was the data we used to, to cluster and to understand what is the uh, what is those individual texture or small tiles composed of? Interesting. Um, so were you able to differentiate between patients with MDS, MDS, MPN and, and healthy controls? Yeah, yeah. So so just by looking at the individual tiles, we're not able yet to, to differentiate. But then when we combined all the tiles from one sample together, uh, then we were able more to well, we were able to differentiate, especially the healthy controls. But among the MDS and MDS MPN patients, there were some significant overlap. But we could also really see that um, some some clusters that were more MDS MPN specific, um, especially like the hypercellular um, uh, samples and. Uh, um, yeah, so so the unsupervised learning could really differentiate partly the the overlap between MDS and MDS MPM patients. I see. So would you think, uh, could this be a, a way of uh, assisting the hematopathologist in their review or can you replace the hematopathologist in uh, differentiating between these things or where are we with the, with the technology? Oh, uh, <laughs> I would say that not replacing, uh, but I really, really hope that someday that will be an easy to use tool for the hematopathologies to analyze images. So to gather in an automatic standardized way data from those images um, that would otherwise take more time or would be prone to subjectivity or would have other caveats. So, so I'm, I'm sure that they, that they will come and I'm really eager to see how that can some, someday help the hematopathologist in his right. or her work, yeah. Um, and 
one thing uh, in machine learning you say you're here so you could you could cluster these things you can see how the the more advanced algorithms could find the patterns in the data that the, the human eye cannot do in, in these high dimensions um, but another thing you did in your paper was that uh, you tried to see if any of these morphological features could predict uh, mutations karyotype prognosis um, can you say a little thing a little about like uh, in, in the human eye or do we have some histopathology and the karyotype mutation correlations we already know and did you find anything uh, new or could you could you predict anything else uh, in your study yeah um, we we know already that um, for example that uh, MDS patients with um, that belong to this classical uh, deletion 5q syndrome so patients that have in the karyotype the missing um, chromosome 5q arm um, have hyperlobulated megakaryocytes um, and, and that was something actually we could also uh, find in by, by using our, our tools um, and there are certainly many other associations that that we have not really been able to um, to find yet, and could be very exciting to find someday. Um, and that was something that we really tried to answer in this study as well. So first, as said, we tried to read first. Could we, we just wanted to see if we could predict the occurrence of those individual mutations and and cytogenetic changes and. For example, for genes such as TET2 and SXXL1, we could find really a strong prediction accuracy. And then we then tested that is that prediction accuracy, does it correlate with the variant allele frequency of those mutations? So the real burden, so to see how many cells really have that mutation in, in the sample. And for example, for ASXL1, um, the correlation was really strong. And, and that was kind of a, an exciting um, uh, validation that our platform works or our model works in finding the relevant features in the images. And the last step was then kind of a, we want to see, can, can we really explain what is, what is the reason why we find those mutations? So, so if you still can remind that we, we have the, the convolution neural network based method to, to mind images, but then we did an, another approach where we um, detected cells and, and, um, uh, and the third, uh, and, uh, and then also extracted the features such as uh, nuclear size and, and how dark the, the nuclei were. And the third image analysis uh, uh, method where we just analyzed what kind of a texture features there were in the images. And by texture feature, I mean uh, the amount of red blood cells, the amount of nucleated cells, amount of stroma uh, and bone trabeculae, and the amount of lipid droplets. So, so the, total, the, the kind of a synthesis was that we have the models to predict the mutations that is based on the convolution neural network data. Then we have the cell segmentation, the cell detection data, and then we have the pixel analysis that is trying to quantitate the amount of different textures. So we can then explain that, hey, we find that mutation quite reliably. And we can see that 
that the prediction accuracy correlates with the size of, for example, of the nucleated cells or with the amount of stroma in the sample. And in that way, we cannot, can in a way explain that most likely the, the machine is seeing those features in the images as the correlation is, is pointing to that direction that there is more stroma and um, bigger nuclei and that is correlating with the occurrence of, of a certain uh, mutation. So this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this, so this is a way to get more interpretability out of the, the algorithms uh, into yes. the user for the clinician or the, the pathologist to, to understand more what's coming out of the, the so-called yeah. black box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that, that the uh, kind of a, the explainable AI is, is really a hot topic at the moment. And I think we, we offer one possibility how to, how to explain the, these, these um, models, what they are seeing from the images. So how has your hematopathologist colleagues uh, received uh, your work? Uh, what, what do they think? What are their perspectives? Uh, yeah, so one, one, one of the co-authors is a hematopathologist and, and he was really, really uh, excited about the results. Uh, of course, there is, uh, even though we try to really explain what, what the machines are seeing, it's not like uh, really explicit in that manner that we can say really at uh, the, the, the exact things what the machines is, is seeing, but I think it's a step forward and, and, uh, and, and he was really excited to, to have that uh, be part of that step, and and um, um, I think we we need a few steps more to <laughs> to 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 make the hematopathologist really happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oscar, you're also an, an MD and a clinician who have, uh, but you always also obviously have a lot of insight into this uh, computing and uh, the the. Um, technologies behind uh, machine learning. So uh, from where we are now, how you, I, I understand that you would like to work on further on this uh, in your own uh, research. Uh, what, what, uh, what is needed to be done in order to bring this to the clinic and, and which uh, implementations in the clinic do you foresee for this uh, technology? Uh, excellent question. So, so there are some limitations that study and, and to, to list some of those, one is that the image digitization is made with a 20 uh, time magnification and the stainings are HME stainings, which are good to, to, to understand what is the bone marrow made of, but not optimal to see uh, subcellular or even subnuclear uh, uh, features of cells. And, and the data set, I think it's, it's a nice data set. Uh, but it could also be larger. So, and, and that's really difficult that you, that would mean a multi-center collaboration uh, to, to get a really large data set. And um, so, but those three kind of challenges we, 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 we are now currently um, trying to solve. And to do that, we are now digitizing every sample we have um, the, the Helsinki University Hospital has collected and has stored. There are in total 60,000 samples in our uh, storage, and we're digitizing all of them. And we are then uh, developing new tools to analyze those images. Uh, and we are combining the image data then with um, uh, clinical data that we get from the hospital uh, database called the hospital data lake 
And that's something I've been working now uh, with the data like I've been working a couple of years. And uh, I think we are very, very far in getting kind of um, uh, um, in getting all the data. So, I mean, by all the data, I mean uh, all the lab data, all the treatment data, all the diagnostic, uh, whatever you can think of data uh, in, uh, together with the image data. And I think that will, will be, um, will, will understand much better now what, what is the really significance of small uh, morphological abnormalities or the composition of the exact composition of the bone marrow uh, prof uh, cellular profile. So we can really, really uh, do things that, that uh, kind of have eluded now for a hundred years, the, the human eye, uh, because um, the images have always, all the slides have always been there, but analyzing them with, in that scale has been impossible um, uh, without like tools that we have now today. That's impressive work. So uh, you think, uh, I think uh, you said also that uh, this techniques on especially images has been a, uh, a very interesting field for uh, for data analysis using uh, machine learning, given the the vast amount of information that can be found in in such images and in, in within the medical field, uh, and many of these have been relied on on classifying or diagnosing um, conditions. Um, do you think that this is the like uh, the, the the best way to the best path to uh, to uh, to implement machine learning, or do you also see a role for it in in predicting a disease course and survival, for example? Uh, yeah, so both of them are kind of a part of our, our scope. Um, that, that's really a, another um, important uh, field. So to really uh, identify biomarkers of treatment and biomarkers of prognosis. Um, if, if we think about like the current clinical scores that we have in, in different leukemias, um, I think the image or the, the morphological data is actually quite limitedly used. And, and one of the reasons is that the examination is, is slow and it's subjective. And, and we have, uh, uh, we, we, around the world, we're using this uh, quite standard May Greenwald Giemsa staining or Romanovsky staining, but, but still the samples differ a bit uh, depending on they're coming from. And, and, and I guess that we can we can really ameliorate uh, the the this course we have today by by implementing um, um, high quality image data uh, into and it can be like numerical data from the images, but it can also be like the number of for example the numbers of different cell types that we can like anybody can count, but it takes just ages to count. So mm -hmm. now we can do it in in just a few minutes um, or even a few seconds, for example, and uh, uh, and, and that could be then part of the standard diagnostics and, and monitoring patients someday. Right. So, uh, and, and in speaking into that also, I think uh, a lot of um, people have, have discussed uh, the ethical aspects of uh, employing uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Can you comment a bit about how you have uh, thought about that or, or do you have any initiatives for addressing this at, uh, at your, uh, in, in your research? Yeah, that's 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 an excellent question as well. So, um, so yes, yeah, so ethical and maybe also mythological issues related. So I would say the first one would be like selection bias of the data sets. Um, 
often in machine learning, the data sets are collected from patients that um, have been part of a trial or otherwise have had perhaps uh, have the possibility of um, getting a treatment that is not accessible for everybody. So that imposes, uh, even, though, even though we do not want to impose that selection bias that I'm sure imposes uh, uh, a bias in having uh, a distinct and not maybe representative patient, patient cohort um, in terms of ethnicities uh, and, and also like genetics can be. Uh, one issue is that um, in machine learning in general, I think um, people are very eager to develop models and show how well they work in their data set and perhaps in another data set. But I think that really to make the clinical impact is to uh, continue developing that model in prospective trials. So that's the only way to get that model into the clinics or the clinical practice. So uh, I'd, I'd say it's, it's like a, it's a general issue that one should be more interested in, in if, if you really truly believe in that. So you should really continue working, getting that part of the clinical uh, routine work. And as an example, for example, um, I mean, personally, I think, for example, RNA sequencing is, is it's, it's a huge resource for, for research, but still, uh, I've, I mean, I found a lot of different machine learning models that have been using RNA sequencing data, but there are not that many of them that, or I'm not, I cannot think of any of them that is kind of currently used in the clinics, at least here. So I think there is a huge gap between the research uh, research kind of uh, machine learning and then the clinical machine learning. I agree, and I think uh, I think an, an important part of acknowledging that uh, that issue and, and pushing that transition is to also have an interaction between the, the those that know the technology and the programming and and clinicians. And you you yourself are a good representation of that, being both a, an MD and now also a PhD, having done work in this very. A complex field. So just at the end here, Oscar, how did you get into machine learning and, and how would you recommend how much should clinicians know about it? Uh, well, uh, it's, it's a very huge field first. So uh, I really encourage anybody that has interest to, to uh, dive into the world of bioinformatics. Um, for me, perhaps there, there were a few factors that led me into it, into it um, around uh, let's say five years ago, I didn't do anything in bioinformatics. Um, but I felt that the ones that knew how to analyze uh, a large amount of data were just too busy. So, <laughs> so I was really like forced to, to get into this. To, so if I really wanted to, to use uh, machine learning in my research projects, I just didn't have any other possibility than I just tried to, to learn it. Mm. Um, and then I would also thank my supervisors, um, especially Professor Porka, who definitely played a role in, in encouraging and, and, and uh, showing the example as well, how to, to, to code and, and uh, as part of a clinical, clinical work. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say that um, having somebody uh, as an example or somebody close to you that is a colleague or uh, uh, it, it helps a lot and uh, and and really to to 
encourage further. I think there are huge resources in the internet. It's really easy. I think the only thing you need to know by now is just how to Google. And after that, I would say that uh, everything else is, is then uh, you can find the information there. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, Oscar, for uh, taking your time. And once again, congratulations on your publication. And uh, wish you very much luck with your future endeavors in, uh, in implementing a more advanced uh, machine learning methods for hopefully for implementation in the clinic also at, uh, at some point. It's been a pleasure having talking to you today. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Lars. Thank you. See you. See you.